Uh, listen to this in Luke chapter 2, verses 18, 8 through 15, because uh, this is the passage of Scripture I'd like to kind of talk a bit about, specifically a, a certain verse in it. But we've been talking about the greatest present is the Christmas presence. The idea that you have the joy of not only um, inviting the presence of God into your life, but if you do, also carrying that presence. And it's so much Better when you think about it, you can spend all kinds of time in the mall trying to find the right gift and with all the stuff like Joel had said earlier, how difficult it can be with a lot of supposed to be happy people unhappy um, or online, which you may want to do from your home or from your phone or whatever. But just imagine, even though you give some other gifts, if you carry the presence of God, his goodness, his love, his kindness, his peace into places this Christmas. I, I can tell you there is not a greater present you can offer someone. It says in Luke chapter 2, there were sheep herders camping in the neighborhood. They had set night watches over their sheep. Suddenly, God's angel stood among them and the glory of God blazed around them. They were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A Savior has just been born in David's town, a Savior who is Messiah and Master. And this is what you're to look for. A baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger. At once, the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill to all people. And as the angel choir withdrew into heaven, the sheep herders talked it over. Let's get over to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. And they left running and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Seeing was believing. They told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child. And all who heard the sheep herders were impressed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would take these words and specifically this response of this angelic choir. Just quiet our hearts and our minds for this moment and teach us more about who you are. About what this great event is. For some, maybe it may be just new stuff. I pray you would help bring revelation understanding. For some, maybe we'll see it in a different way. For me, God, I pray that your spirit would speak words that you have been generating and birthing in me that would be words that would come with your presence and power to present you in a way that brings you glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, some announcements can be rather entertaining and rather funny, and there's announcements in all different kinds of occasions, but in airplanes from time to time, the flight attendant or the pilot makes an announcement and, and I've heard some that are, are funny from time to time. I found some here. Uh, for instance, one had said, thank you for flying Delta Business Express. We hope you enjoyed giving us the business as much as we enjoyed taking you for a ride. Um, <clears throat> a Southwest Airlines employee said, welcome aboard to Southwest Flight 245 to Tampa to operate your seatbelt. Insert the metal tab into the buckle and pull tight. It works just like every other seatbelt. And if you don't know how to operate one, you probably shouldn't be out in public unsupervised. 
You know, now they got these standardized things and you watch them and they try and be funny. But sometimes what came out from some of the people were like this one. In the event of a sudden loss of cabin pressure, masks will descend from the ceiling. Stop screaming. Grab the mask. Pull it over your face. If you have a small child with you, secure your mask before assisting with theirs. And if you're traveling with more than one small child, just pick your favorite. Um, You never know when you are told there's going to be an announcement. There was a bunch of shepherds who were kind of minding their own business. They were out there in the fields watching their flock by night. And all of a sudden there was a surprise and this angel shows and the glory of God kind of descends around them. And it says that this angel Gabriel's there and they were terrified. I don't know if you've ever had that experience before when someone with authority makes an announcement and you're told something and you feel a sense of terror. I remember one time in sixth grade, I was sitting so, you know, nicely and and like I always do in my desk in in class. And uh, my family's over there laughing anyway. um, And my teacher coming to me, Mr. McDermott, I hope if you're even listening anyway, and and came beside me and said, um, the principal would like to see you. Well, that's not one of those kind of messages, announcements that bring you a sense of joy. Like, you know, all right, he wants to spend some time with me. I had terror, and for good reason. Now, after the service last time, someone said, tell us the rest of the story. I'm not going to tell you the rest. Anyway, so that's, that's it. Some announcements come with a sense of terror. This came with a sense of terror because there was the presence of an angel and in a sense of the glory of God, the weight of his presence was there. And, and what you have is he says this incredible event's occurring. This event you have longed for and waited for. This hope that you would have, that this God would actually be present with you in, in grace and goodness come and, and, and be and dwell with you a sinner and actually remove all that so that you can have a kind of relationship with him. And then as he makes this announcement, because they kind of knew some of the implications of it, they were good Jewish shepherds. This angel choir just shows up. Now, can you imagine being afraid of the first guy? And this thing is bright beyond belief. They're probably like this, and they're hearing these words, which are a response. And what I want to do this morning is take these three responses of their chorus and share with you the implications of that for us. And I'm pretty sure the poetic cadence came more from the King James Version. It was probably sounded like glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, I'm not going to go ahead and exegete and look at all the differences of that last phrase, which doesn't mean I know who God is pleased or favored. I just want us to look at these three things. We only have a little bit of time. These implications are this, that God gets the glory, glory to God in the highest. God brings peace, on earth peace. And the last is God wills good. Goodwill toward men. God gets the glory. You know how the idea of glory, we could define it all kinds of different ways. It's a sense of the weight of his presence. It's a sense, I think the best way to define the word glory, when I talk about glory to God in the highest, is this word, wow. There is a sense where it, you could say, wow to God in the highest. Okay, so like when something really incredible, impressive happens, you are just looking at it and you're overwhelmed. It's incredible. And what do you say? You say, oh, you don't say it like that. that you know what? That's bad. I feel like giving up. 
Okay, something really impressive. It's just over. It's mind blowing. It shows up before you and you, you are so impressed. You're so struck in your heart. You say, there we go. That's exactly what this word is. It's wow to God in the highest. This is incredible. What has just been announced is, is beyond belief. You know, so get rid of the religious speak for a second. It's not just glory to God in the highest. It's wow to God. It's the most incredible God. He's the best is kind of what they were singing. Now, to really understand it, you have to understand that this idea of wow is not something that you contemplate. It's not some kind of frontal, um, kind of that neocortex, that frontal cortex, that, what is it again? That frontal lobe, let's just say. Neocortex, that's it. Um, it's more this amygdala, it's this, it's this brainstem response that's kind of like that, that flight or, or fright kind of thing. You know, it's kind of the thing that you, when you, see, you just respond like that. That's the wow sense that you're going to get here. So I'm going to share with you a few of these examples in Scripture. And we could look at a whole number of them, but let's just look at this one. And the first one is Solomon's temple and the glory of God. There is one of these what I call wow moments where they just went, wow, God, he's the best. It says in first Kings chapter seven, verse one, that Solomon took 13 years to build God's house. And then one day after the construction was completed, right at the end of the dedication service, God moved in and the glory of God showed up. You get this picture. It says in verse eight of six of, of chapter eight, then the priest, they brought the ark of the Lord's covenant, which was he contained his presence to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. And, and if you go down to verse 10, it says when the priest withdrew from the holy place, you get this idea as they're kind of exiting the place. God's making his entrance. And as God's making his entrance, look what it says here. It says the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. He's kind of moving in. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled his temple. I mean, it's, just, it's this idea that when they withdrew, God's presence, his glory was so magnificent, so impressive, so overwhelming that they couldn't perform their service. Their bodies actually, in a sense, went, wow, they couldn't move. They couldn't do what they wanted to do. They were there, in a sense, with their bodies going limp. Kind of like a stun gun. Think about that. They were overwhelmed that they actually fainted. And I thought about that. You know, that happens from time to time. That can actually happen in our culture. And I was thinking back when I was probably just really, really small, the group called the Beatles. Um, um, and I remember when the Beatles came. And I remember when John Lennon said that he was greater than Jesus. And they were, you know, which he isn't now anymore, is he? Anyway, um, and I remember those days. And they would show up and girls would faint like this. And here they are. Fresh from their triumphant appearances in the United States, 12,000 young Britons roar a welcome. Their shrieks rise in an awesome wave. Our staff scientists, in an odd moment, calculated that this young mob is generating enough energy to put three Atlas missiles in orbit and power 54,000 transistor radios. Some of the fences hold, others do not. A minor miracle is mounted by the fact that there are no injuries spread among the near-hysterical crowd. This truly is a social document for our time.
young ladies fainted, but authorities feel that some were playing possum so that they might be lifted over the fence and thus be nearer their idols. The Beatles, who originated at the Oh, I tell you, I, I, is that amazing? There are, you know, 54,000 transistor radios. Anybody remember what those are? This is like a social landmark, you know, what he was basically saying. This was a wow moment. And I go, because four guys who had a funny haircut showed up. And they're just going, and, and their bodies are going limp, and they're wondering if they're playing possum. I can promise you when the glory of God showed up in the temple and the priests were laid out and they were limp and they were laying there, they weren't playing possum. You get this incredible picture of the glory of God, the weight of His presence that our world can't even understand. The idea that in the presence of God of this universe, the power source of everything, the ultimate energy, when He comes before these priests and He enters in, it's like the circuit boards of these priests blow. And they hit the floor. I call it kind of the taser presence of God. And all I can say and all they could say was, yeah, it wasn't really there anyway. And then I think of the transfiguration. I could give you many of these, but it's transfiguration. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. And you have this picture of Jesus. He takes the three disciples rock climbing. He's three guys he really likes. He goes, let's go up on the mountain. Peter, James, John, and the brother of James. And he led them up this high mountain, it says, by themselves. And, and there he was transfigured before them. And then he gives us a little picture of it. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Now catch the effect this had on the three disciples who had already seen some incredible wow moments. You think about it. They're walking with this Jesus. They've seen him walking on water, stealing a storm, catching a boatload of fish, defeating a thousand plus evil spirits who when they just see Jesus cry for mercy, they go, Uncle, we're, we're done. We're out of here. Not only had they seen those things with Jesus, they see the glory of Jesus in these things. They see him turning water to wine, feeding 5,000, healing a variety of diseases, raising people from the dead. And now God says, take three guys up with you because I really would like to kind of turn up the dimmer switch a little bit higher so they see more glory. I want them to see who you really are. You're the presence of me right before him. And so he takes him up on this mountain. And we read in chapter 17, verses 5 through 7, these words, While he, Jesus, was speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to what it says in verse 6. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus, kind of like the angels, touched them and said, Get up, don't be afraid, guys. In the presence of God, they're just undone. They're tasered by the glory of God, and all they can say is, wow. And then there's all kinds of stories as they go throughout the Bible, but I'm going to give you just one more. It's found in Revelation, the first chapter. The Apostle John has actually been banished on an island, the island of Patmos, because of his faith, we're told. And verses 10 and 12 state this. 
on the Lord's Day, which is the Sunday, on the Lord's Day, I was in the spirit, which is interesting because John's the apostle. He's you thinking all the time he's in the spirit, right? He's always no on the Lord's Day. In some special sense, he was in the spirit. In some way, the presence of God was more present. And I stopped here in the first verse. I'm going to stop again to say this, folks. When we come to worship, when we come here together, it is not to kind of check off a list saying, well, we did this for you, God. Or we come here to put in our hour. It's not about this. When you come to worship, I encourage you to come in this way, in the spirit, in the spirit, saying, God, I am coming here with the fullness of William, and I'm going to just tell you, wow, you're the best. I love you. And I tell you, as you do that kind of thing, you start to see the presence of God and the move of God. So here he is. He's in the spirit. And he says, I I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see. And so John turns around to see the voice that was speaking to me, he says. And now John describes what is totally indescribable. How do you describe something to someone that you don't have words to really express it? Go to a a tribe in New Guinea and try and talk to them about electricity. It's like this fire that runs on bamboo. Try to do that. The only thing you can do is use metaphors, something that might be able to translate. And so he turns and he looks. And we're told that when he turns and he... He looks, he's, he, he says, before John is, is the glorified Jesus. Now, he had seen the transfigured Jesus, so he saw the dimmer switch up quite a ways. Now it's full blast. The glorified Jesus stands before him, his hair is white as wool, bright as the new fallen snow, eyes blazing like fire. This is the only way you can describe something you can't describe. Feet bronze glowing in a fire, a voice like the sound of rushing waters. What rushing waters in that day? It was like a, it's like a waterfall. Voice, think of it this way. Ever been near the Niagara Falls? Voice like the Niagara Falls. His face like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And then verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. My body went, wow. The circuits in my body went on to overload because I was in such the presence of such incredible energy. Filled with love and power and might and and. and and peace, and and joy, and everything you can imagine. When I saw him, I I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me, and he said those familiar words, which he says to anyone who in a humble heart, anybody here today whose heart is humble, who's who's saying, God, I want you. I I just go, wow, God, you're the best. I want you. And, And he puts his hand on you, and he goes, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I love you. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. I was dead. I was dead, he says. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Right there for what you have seen. Now, you're in the presence of this incredible sense of glory going wow with your whole body, which you can't even control right now. Can you, can you imagine John going, well, you know, you know, Jesus... Give me 60 days to think about this. You know, when you're in the presence of that kind of glory, that sense of, wow, you're, you, you basically, whatever. You don't even call it obedience. You just call it response. 
But if your heart's in a place where you go, God, I could care less about you. I'm living my own life. I, I'm going to live what the Bible says is a lie, a sense of denial. In fact, in Revelation, it talks about the fact that sometimes when the presence of God in the book of Revelation comes and the presence of God is coming, what people do is they actually stop their ears, close their eyes and begin to scream. Why? Because what's happening is the presence of God is so powerful, so present. They try and close off every sense in their body so that the presence of God can't come into them. And you can do that. You can just say, I don't want any part of it. And God is such a gentleman. Here's what, here's what he's saying. He's saying, wow, God is the greatest, the greatest in the world. He's the best. You know why he's the best? Because what happens, what this whole thing of Christmas is about, is about God coming. And whether you believe it or not, it's, it's about the presence of God in Jesus from his birth to his death to his resurrection all the way to his ascension. This whole thing is what he's talking about. Glory, God's the best when you think about what he did, that he would actually step from his throne, step onto earth, dwell in the body of a baby, vulnerable, dependent, and, and live this life throughout the whole life into the point of his death and his resurrection and then ascend again to heaven so that you could live with him. That is the most amazing thing in the world. And if you really got it, your body just goes, wow, your whole senses go, wow. God loves me that much. The idea of being in the highest means this. It's a single act of revelation. This is what we're, this is what we're so excited about. If you're wondering, what's this all about? And I've got to share with you, you know, as, as growing up in the church, I'd read things like glory to God in the highest, and it was kind of just the words that would flow through, and then all of a sudden I started to read it, and I started to really concentrate on it for this series. And I went, whoa, that's not glory to God in the highest. It's, wow. There is no one better than this God. He's the best. Because in the highest means in this single act of revelation where God in all his glory sets aside his glory to step into history of mankind. God is at his quintessential best. And if you were keeping sore or you were grading this in some way, you wouldn't just give God a passing grade on this. This isn't just like a project that he brought up and it got a superior mark. Actually, on the whole of this God being born a man so that we might know him and understand him and that we might be loved by him and be saved from our selfishness and sin. Just think about it. Someone who wants to remove the selfishness in your heart has the ability to do it. This God. And as a result of that, wants to live in your heart and dwell with you, begin to take yourself so that your character becomes more and more like God. This is not just an A+. That isn't even a high enough grade. It's extra credit to, you know, to go with it. In this sense, the announcement of the angels doesn't, it, it, it doesn't even capture well in human words. It's just too confining. So when the angel makes this announcement, God allows for a whole choir of angels who are just as overwhelmed, yelling in a sense, I can't believe this God is doing this for these people. And I believe that's why the whole company of angels with all the brightness imaginable add to the words of this angel, bringing out the magnificence of God by stating, God, you're the top in the class in every way imaginable in the highest. Now, I was thinking about this and I was preparing this and I wrote this. I wrote these words and they just, there's, they still mean, they mean so much to my heart. If you and I were to fully see and know and understand and comprehend this truth, we would be so wowed. We would be wowed into a personal power outage. Think about it. 
If God in all his fullness showed up here, and, and even without his fullness, if we truly understood the glory of what God has done in this moment, we would be wowed into a personal power outage. The love, the goodness, the mercy, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the humility, the purity, the holiness, the justice, the fairness, the hatred of God towards that which is evil and anything that would bring less in our lives than what he desires would cause us all to go. Yeah, you could be a little more excited. But anyway, if we rightly understood what God did by coming to earth, by becoming an infant, becoming helpless and vulnerable, powerless and, and, and dependent. Think about it. Everything in our world, when it wants you to do something, it always powers over. It's always force. It's always might. It's why you have battles with people. It's why you're probably struggling in a marriage maybe with someone right now, because it's all about a power thing. If I can just empower come and God understands that he knows that and he could have done that. He could have done that for every person here. He could have wowed you. And if your heart doesn't want him, you're going to be like this. But he could have allowed you, but he didn't. Here's what's so amazing about God. Here's where you go, wow, God, you're the best. He lays down all the weapons and he becomes a baby. He comes to you gently, quietly with all his love and says, I want your will because of a response of love. I'm not going to overpower you and make you do anything. I want you to fully move into it with your whole self. Now, some people say I can get a little over-energetic. And I don't get it, but, you know, I have this problem, too, sometimes when it comes to kids that are two or three years of age. And so I have to harness that energy. Um, because, seriously, folks, I'm not like the Mr. Rogers type. Anybody like that? You know what it means, like, when a kid gets overwhelmed? Like, it's just like, whoa, way too much energy. Get this big guy away from me. Right? That's God. He harnessed all his energy. Because he, he comes to you like Mr. Rogers, if you want to look at it that way. In a sense, he's just gentle and soft. And, and you want to come into his presence. And you just go, wow, I can't believe this. And there's a second truth here. God brings peace. The whole reason we go, wow, God is the greatest is because of what he wants to do. He wants you and I to have peace with him. He wants to be reconciled with us. He wants to say, you know, your sin and your selfishness. It, it's, does anybody want to just agree here? Doesn't your selfishness and sin get in the way of relationships? Anybody have a really great relationship if you're really self-centered and really self-absorbed? How many have great relationships? Well, if they're just like you, you might. You know what I mean? Because then you're not even knowing that you're both self-absorbed. But anyway, it's, and that's not a relationship, right? I love this about God. Here is God who comes and he says, you know what? I want to take away your selfishness that keeps you from me. And we call that sin. It's, it's kind of saying, I don't really care. I'm going to do my own thing, whether it hurts you or not. And he says, I would like to take that away. And so what he does is he sends Jesus. Jesus grows up, shows us what it means to be like God. You look at Jesus, you see the heart of God. You see Jesus through his life. His whole mission is to do what? It's to bring you and I, those who are lost, in connection with him, that we might walk with him, that we might know him, that we might live with him, that we might experience him. So that you might have peace. And not only is God so cool about that, he doesn't want us to have that relationship with, with him. He wants you to begin to have that relationship with other people. And the way he wants to do that is to change you from the inside out. He wants to build within you, not just so you can feel peaceful and feel peaceful about your relationship with God. He wants to put peace in your heart so it becomes a part of your character so that it, it actually is now becoming who you are. That's one of the reasons that he, you know, he knows that, um, that we live in difficult places. I was thinking about this. We, we can choose to live in some fairly stressful homes with some very difficult relatives, right? 
Now, I'm treading on some water you're worried about. I'm not talking about real people here. I'm talking about the kind of attitudes we carry. We can choose to live with attitudes like the Tatian brothers, you know, agitation, frustration, irritation. You know, God wants to free you from that stuff. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. But as you walk with him, he does. You know, you can live with the Ment sisters. Discouragement, disappointment, disgruntlement, resentment. You know, God can free you from that. He wants you to have peace. You may live with the Ing cousins. Anybody live with these complaining, grumbling, mumbling, murmuring? See, all these relatives you choose to live with within your being, God says, you know, I'd really like to give you a new family. Anybody want a new family? And you can be here today and I can look at you and you might go, yeah, I don't have any. You know, you look real calm and cool on the outside. Your exterior looks really good. But in your heart, you can have all those relatives living in there and you can have a life that's not full of peace at all. And God says, I want you to have peace. I heard the story of uh, the other day about a monk who this guy decided he, what monastic order he wanted to, to join. And he decided to join a very rigid one because he, he, he wanted to, to join this one where he was a part of a community where he took a vow of silence. Felt that would be what he wanted to, to learn in his life. So he goes to this very restrictive and stringent monastic order. And you can only speak two words every ten years. And so he's up for the task, or after ten years, uh, this monk meets with his superior, thinks hard, chooses two words, and, and, and knows he just he has only two, so he's going to be real wise, and he chooses them. Food, bad. <laughs> ten years go by, and this monk meets with his superior. It's, you know, ten years later, wants to make sure he expresses those two words. He's already used those other two ten years ago. Comes before me, goes, bed, hard. That's it. Ten years go by. He meets again, once again, with the superior. Just two words. This time he's at his end. And he kind of just says, I quit. To which the superior said, well, I'm not surprised because since the day you've come, all you've done is complain. Um, <laughs> and I just had to throw this one in there. Anyway, I thought it'd be fun. You know what? You can go through life and you can live with all those kind of relatives and your heart. And that's what Jesus wants to bring out. It's not only that you have a relationship with him where he begins to deal with that and he removes the sin through faith in what Jesus has done. But he also begins to build that peace in your life and with other people. And you can come here and look like you got it all together. But the reality is you may not. And God says, I want to be walking with you. I want you to have this humble, surrendered heart. Put the weapons down. Let me in. Let me teach you. I was meeting with a group of people this last week. We've been doing what we call these coffee connects where we learn and listen from one another and we tell each other stories. And so Shelly on staff and Joel and I had met with some people at three different occasions. And one of the occasions, one of the, the, the men there shared with us when he was you know, first beginning to really discover God. And, and he said, you know, early on in my walk of faith, I kept asking Jesus into my heart over and over again. Anybody ever done that? You know, every time you feel like, and he said, I kept doing it because I never felt good enough. I just never felt good enough until he said, you know, I I had this fear and this worry and I kept saying, you know, Jesus come into my life. And until one day a a man just very, very simply explained to me the truth. And he said, here's the truth, buddy. You will never be good enough. God knows that. So any of you are feeling that way. You'll never be good enough. God knows that. And he said, you know, you know it as well. That's exactly why Jesus came to earth. That's why we go, wow, this is amazing. God, you're the best. 
Because He knows we're not good enough. He knows in our sin we're going to blow. He knows we're going to hurt people. He knows we're going to have unreconciled relationships. But he, he also says He knows us well enough that if our heart is open, He'll enter in. He says, you'll never be good enough. So He says to this guy, He says to him, He came, He says, you know, this is why Jesus came. He came for people who lack peace because they knew they weren't good enough. He came so that you would trust that Jesus was good enough to save you. It's not about your good enough. And, and then I love this. He said He came so that instead of looking... So instead of you looking at how good you are, your eyes focused on you all the time, you know why Jesus came? That you might begin to put your eyes on how good He, God, is. And trust that alone. Because what you put your eyes on, you eventually become. And there's a third part to this announcement. This God, I just call it God wills goodness. You see, God desires to pour out His favor upon you. His heart has nothing but good for you. And it's really hard to believe that because we know our own sin. We don't know our own guilt. We feel shame. We, 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 we react against it. But here's the truth of what the Word of God says, that He wants to give you favor, which is nothing more than unmerited good. It's not about you. Do you know that God wants to bless you over and over and over again? That's the truth. For, you look at John, the first gospel, when it talks about, you know, John's um, birth stories are about the incarnation. And at one point, John says this, from the fullness of his grace. What's so amazing about God, we go, wow, God, you're amazing. It's not only he's humble, but he comes in full grace. We have received one blessing after another. Favor upon favor, he wants to pour it out on you. And I thought about this. I thought, how many of you this Christmas, you know, you've been, you know those of you who have kids, are going out trying to find bad gifts? Raise your, you know, I asked this in the first service, and I said, kids, watch your parents. If they're raising their hands, you're in trouble. So why would God, the perfect parent, do anything less? And especially Christmas. He wills goodness towards us. Unmerited favor. You know, and you may be thinking about it. You're in this place right now. Even the tough times that you may be in. Still, as you are responsive to him, as you keep your heart open and you continue to move into him, he will bring about goodness in your situation because he is all about being good to you. And you might go, I don't quite understand. I don't get it. I don't you don't get it in those kind of times. But even in the difficulty and stress, God hears the truth, whether you believe it or not, whether you can grasp it or not. God is here to accomplish his good purposes for you. So that James 1 says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to cut out. I, I love this. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Man, if you're like me, the moment the stuff got, got how do I get out of this? And he's saying, you know, God is good to you. Every gift he gives to you is good. You may be in a situation right now that's really uncomfortable, really painful. You don't like it at all. But God knows his time and he says this. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Listen to what he says next. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. He is still good towards you. And then verse 11, anyone who meets a testing challenge head on and manages to stick it out, is mighty fortunate, or I would say blessed, for such persons loyally in love with God. The reward is life and more life and blessing and blessing and favor and favor. And so his presence 
wills good to us. It brings us good. And over time, as you in faith begin to trust that, He begins to change your character. And you know what happens? Now you become good. And the goodness begins to flow out of you towards someone else. That's the whole process of carrying the presence of God. One of my favorite lines in a Christmas song is the little phrase, be good for goodness sake. And we know that line. It speaks of a higher level of goodness which is rooted in one's character. You're not being good for mom and dad any longer. That's kind of a lesser sense. You're not even good for the person across from you that maybe needs it. You're not even, in one sense, doing it any longer for God because when God becomes established in your character, the idea is that He is forming you because the goodness of God is His character towards you in the same way your character becomes towards them. And as goodness gets established within you, then you are good for goodness sake. And so when you're bumped, you know, when you're bumped by something, goodness spills out. When you're poked, goodness leaks out. My, my mom used to say to me, Kevin... You know, um, because I would I would climb up on things. I climb on these lamps and I, they'd break and and I was, you know, getting myself cut or bruised or this. I was like a walking bandaid. And she would say to me, Kevin, you are like an like a like an accident waiting to happen. Anybody ever heard that before? I was thinking about this week. I was going, you know what I would love for us to be is like a goodness waiting to happen. Everywhere we go, we carry the presence of God because we have gone, wow, God, you are the best. I can't believe that you would love me like this and that you would give me peace and establish it and that you are so willing towards me goodness over and over again. Now, as that begins to fill me up, may it so fill me up that it actually spills out that I'm just goodness waiting to happen. So when you're at work, someone kind of bumps you or someone knocks you or someone does something or someone hurts you, you instead of responding with anger or you responding in a retaliation, all of a sudden comes out of you is goodness and you are carrying the presence of God and the presence of God is felt by someone and they go wow yeah who said that I like that God's the best because they felt his presence in your life I love the responsiveness here here's the last thing I'm going to share with you and I'll let the team come as I do I'm reminded of the story of Agnes from time to time or when she was a younger girl, Agnes believed in God from a very young age. But not just believe, she was on fire. She wanted to do great things for God. She said things such as she wanted to love Jesus as he had never been loved before. I know some of you have said it in your heart. She said, I want to love you, Jesus, as you've never been loved before. Agnes had this undeniable calling as a girl. She wrote in her journal that my soul at present is in perfect peace and joy. And she experienced a union with God that was so deep and so continual that it was what to her she would call a rapture. So as she got older, she left her home and when it was appropriate, she became a missionary and she gave everything to Jesus. And then... According to what she says, he left her. At least that's how she felt about it. At one point, she asked, where's my faith? Deep down, there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain? I have no faith. And she struggled to pray. I I, I utter words of community prayers, and I try my utmost to get out every word with the sweetness it has to give. But my prayer of union, the sense of your presence, is not there any longer. 
Yet she worked and she still served. She still smiled and she still just willed goodness into the lives of people. And you know, the inner darkness, even though she had this incredible experience in her younger years, her inner darkness continued on year after year. There's only one brief respite over a 50-year period of time. Think about that. But every day, the character of God was being formed and her goodness was being formed. And she continued to believe in faith, anchored by the experience and the truth of the relationship, the truth of she knew. Such was the secret pain of Agnes, whom we all know as Mother Teresa. And this stuff didn't come out, and she never really wanted it to come out. She wrote this because it was intended really for her spiritual directors. But Mother Teresa wrote this in her journal. It was published a, a number of years ago. And the reason it was published is because people wanted to know her interior life. And in many ways, I'm kind of glad it was published because you see in this person who had this incredible sense of, of, of going around in, in, in goodness spilling out of her. They say when she went to the National Prayer Breakfast, I talked to some people that were there at the National Prayer Breakfast. When she came on, she came with this authority of God, with the sense of his presence, with a sense sense of love. It was just amazing. People who meet her. She just carried the presence of God. And one of the reasons I say this is, is you look at this life and you look at this life of, of Agnes, who is Mother Teresa, and here she is. And you know what people would ask her? they say, well, do I have to go to be a missionary? Do I have to go somewhere to do this? Do I need to go to India? And then she would look at him and say, no, you know what? All you need to do is do what's right in front of you. God's not calling you to go necessarily somewhere else. He's just sitting right where you live, right where you're at. You have the ability to live your life going, wow, God, you're the best. And God, because of this peace and this, the forgiveness that I have, that I can walk with you and know you and invite you in my life and begin to live that way and, and do that hard work with other people and to be reconciled with people, I can begin to move into this. And as I move into this, I can go everywhere where you want me to go, even though I may not feel the presence of God right now. You may not even experience it, but in trust, you can go right in front of you and say, God, I will good. I will do good. I will choose good. So that someone else will go, wow. Thank you, God. Thank you. You're the best. 